Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our 74th Fireside Chat. 74, that's, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of work that Justin and Oliver have been doing for the, all those years. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let me start with, let me start the questions with Will Thomas. He's got a, a question for you, Tom. Please go okay. ahead, Will. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Good, Will. How are you? I'm good. Uh, well, uh, first, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, uh, I've been kind of following what you said to do, which was to, you know, meditate and uh, to be kind of, uh, you know, solid about meditating. I've been doing that now for five years and uh, it's going really well. I'm able to at this point, I'm able to go out of body for a couple hours every single morning and uh it's been slowly, slowly increasing. I haven't had a lot of big breakthroughs, but slowly but surely I've been getting there. And I just uh, wanted to say before I start that for other people that are thinking, oh, I don't know if this would really work or maybe, uh, you know, it's not the right thing. If you just really give it a try and just relax and try. And, you know, it took me six months to have my first one. But, you know, give it a shot and don't be afraid and try to stick with it. And you probably will be able to do it too. But that brings me to my first question, which is that I've heard you say this a lot of times, which is that it's not that hard to go out of body. And I think that that's actually uh, true. Um, so uh, uh, my, my first question has to do with uh, reaching point consciousness. Now I've been talking to Brandon Wilson. He went to one of the uh, immersives too. Now Brandon, he goes out about three times a week and he doesn't even do binaural beats anymore. He's he's pretty solid with what he's doing. And so uh, there aren't a lot of people for me to really discuss, you know, exactly how this works with. So we came up with a theory together and it basically has to do with uh, the use of point consciousness. So I'm just going to read this to you and uh, maybe you can tell me if you think that this is correct. OK, so. Um, the ability to reach and maintain point consciousness, the point consciousness state and still your mind are the two things that are necessary to the OB process. Having and maintaining the PC state is an intrinsic, is intrinsic to one's ability, not only to have, but to maintain the OB. This ability to focus and maintain point consciousness also helps one to do the same in their normal day, which helps the person to access the being level more readily during their normal day's process, thus have a larger decision space. So is, is that it? Is it really like point consciousness and that with kind of getting yourself down into a deep space are the two things that you really need to go out of body? Would you say that that is correct? Um, yes, I'd say that's pretty much it. But there's a few other things that, that go there. Is Point consciousness, when you're really at point consciousness, you are out of body. You know, that's when you're at point consciousness, you are no longer processing your sense data. You're just a point of awareness floating in the void. Well, in that case, you're not in your body. Once you stop processing sense data, I would say you're out of body. Now it's a matter of what do you want to do? Okay, what, what is it? What kind of experience do you have? Do you want to communicate with somebody? You know, you want to get data or do you want to explore the consciousness system. So there's various things that you can do from that point. But once you are 
no longer processing sense data, then you're no longer in this reality. This reality is defined by the data stream you get that defines your sense data. When you stop processing that, you're no longer here. Even though, you know, like I say, the phone rings, you know, the, ho the horn honks or something, you can, you can be aware here. You can take your conscious and say, oh, am I still in my bed? Oh, yeah, there, I can feel the bed against my back. You can do that, but if you don't make an effort to focus on something physical, you don't. You, there is nothing physical in your, in your awareness. So at that point, you are out of body. Now, that's not a classical out of, out of body. That's not where you wake up in your bedroom and turn around and see your body and fly off through the wall. But it is the same state as far as your altered state of consciousness. Now, what do you want to do? Now, here's where most people get uh, have their problem when they decide that what they want to do is go explore the larger consciousness system. They have this problem with getting started, you see, because now it's all right, I'm going to explore. Let's go explore. And now they're expecting something to happen, like the movie begins to roll. And it's getting through this, this, this initial point of the of the exploring the larger conscious system that's the issue and that's often when the intellect jumps in because it says oh am i doing it yet oh is this thing i see is that a part of it well all i see is a colored spot that's not the larger conscious system so their intellect starts judging and thinking and analyzing and assessing and that then just pulls them right out of that that situation so they're not likely to get there so they're the really hard thing about getting out of body is being able to keep that intellect quiet and to just be able to exist in point consciousness to be in point consciousness floating there and then let your exploration story unfold as it does in other words, you don't go get it. You just, it happens and you attach to it. You let it unfold. And that unfolds because you do have an intent in your mind someplace, an intent that's something you'd like to do. Gee, I'd like to see other reality systems. I'd like to see another virtual reality sort of like ours but different. Or I'd like to have a conversation with the LCS. Or I'd like to meet somebody that, you know, that I would end up becoming friends with, you know, somebody that we could have, I could have contact with. You have some kind of little thought in your mind about what you really want to do. And it's that intention that really sets what it is you do. Now, the, the being out of body, I like to make the analogy that that's like a, a single-player game. Okay? The larger conscious system is feeding you a data stream. Not the same data stream that would that would make you in this virtual reality, but that data stream defines some other virtual reality. And you just need to be able to relax, let go, and go with it. So that's the key thing. So really getting to point consciousness is, you know, half of the process. The other half of the process is keeping your intellect out, just being aware and open to what happens next and having some intention 
of what you want to do and where you want to go. So that's really the main that's really the main thing. Now you talked about a deep state. Uh, if what you mean by that is that your point conscious state is really solid, you know, you're not constantly having monkey mind coming through your mind and you're not, um, you know, your attention isn't, isn't jumping around and you, if that's what you mean by a deep state, then yes, that's, that's key. If what you mean by a deep state is that you're on the edge of falling asleep and that foggier is better then no. The out-of-body should not be a, you know, an exploration in the fog. It ought to be clear. It ought to be perfectly clear, just like it is right now where you're sitting at your computer and talking to me. It ought to be that clear. And you get that clarity by not getting foggy. So deep, as long as deep in your explanation or in your your what you were saying as long as that word deep does not mean foggy then yes if deep means solid robust state one that you can hold for a long period of time one that you can just sit there have your intent and wait see what happens make the connection because the system will send you a data stream your intention will help the system send you a data stream that is along those lines, unless the system has some other plans for you, and then it'll give you whatever it pleases. And it's not always what you intend. You know, often it's you intend to do this, and you go off doing something else. Well, the system gives you things that it thinks will help you get a bigger understanding, get experience. You know, we, we open our minds to experience. And what I mean by that is people who travel a lot, say, just here in this reality, they are they have a bigger picture of reality than people who never travel at all, never go anywhere. So just by having varied and different experiences, you mature, you, you grow up some, you have a larger perspective because you've seen more things. So a lot of what you're going to get in those single-player games we call out-of-body is just more experience more experience with different kinds of things, and, and slowly the accumulation of all that experience changes you and makes you more aware, makes you live in a bigger picture. And it happens kind of collectively. Like if you do a lot of traveling, you don't suddenly go to Singapore and say, ah, okay, now I have a bigger picture. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. You just travel and travel, and just by, you know, it just happens. After you, you know, if you travel more, then then you uh, you know have even a bigger picture. So it's the same way without a body. It's not that any particular thing is going to be the bell ringer. Now, occasionally you do get those kinds of things, but mostly it's just experience in a larger space. And over time, that gives you a you know you begin to live in that larger space rather than just visit it. So that's kind of the key thing about out of body. But when you are in point consciousness, you really are out of body. Now all you have to do is let it go in however the system wants to take you. The system's going to offer you a data stream. And you can start it off if, if people have the trouble getting started, you know, connecting to that data stream. And that's because you have to relax, let go, and be open, and have some kind of intention in your mind. That's what it takes.
to connect to that data stream. So, sure, you can get to point consciousness and you can go get data, you can remote view, you can do all sorts of things, and you can go exploring, which we call out-of-body. Now, the only reason that people have that classical out-of-body of, of becoming aware in their bedroom and looking back at their body lying in the bed is because either they, that's what they read about, so that's their intention. That, you know, that's the intention in your mind. Remember, that's part of the formula is that intention. If they have that intention, then it's likely they'll have that experience. The other reason is, is that they believe that they're actually getting out of their body, that they're, they are something that lives in their, their body, some kind of spirit form living in the body. And, of course, if you live in the body and then you get out of that body, you're going to be there where your body is. So that belief then sets that intention automatically, you see. So the classical out-of-body is based on a belief uh, pretty much. Otherwise, your out-of-body is just like teleporting. You're there in point consciousness, you're aware, and something catches your attention. You go connect with that, you embrace it, and you're gone. And hard to say where you might go or what you might end up seeing or, or where it goes, but you kind of let it unravel. And as you go and have the experience, more intentions will pop into your head. Well, that was interesting, but you know, and then you go off in that direction. One thing leads to another, just like any exploration. If you go exploring in the woods, you can, you go out in the woods and you say, well, let's, there's a hill. Let's go up there and see what we can see. Or that sounds like running water. Let's see if we can find a waterfall. You kind of get intentions as you go and your, your adventure kind of, you know, is, is organic. So it's like that as well in out of body. The system will follow your intents or again, like I said, the system may just give you something because that would be just a good thing for your experience, help broaden your experience. So that's, you know, kind of the best in a nutshell description of out of body that uh, I can give. So yes, I think you and your friend who kind of came up with this are on the right spot. You're being successful. Point consciousness is a key thing. And you see, because if you can't really get to the point conscious state and hold it, then <clears throat> it's probably, you know, more worth your time to just work on that. Just work on that meditation of being a solid, robust space that you can just get into and exist there. Because if you can't do that, then it makes the out-of-body hard because it's, you know, it's, it's difficult to uh, stay in the space. So you're right. Do that first. The rest comes more easily. I have noticed, though, uh, that um, when I get up from an out-of-body experience, that I almost always feel the exact same way, the same level of relaxation. My body or my mind or my mind space, whatever it is, feels like there's just this very kind of comfortable, calm, uh, you know, natural, uh, like pleasant feeling. And it's not, you know, when we talk about, oh, to be, you know, in a meditative state and all these other things, I feel like that must also, just being able to, stay in whatever that space is. Maybe it's not called point consciousness, but stay in whatever that space is, that calm, mm -hmm. relaxed place that must play a role in it. And that must be one of the things that you also have to be able to do, maybe even be able to hold that, whatever that feeling is, 
throughout your day because that feeling is the place for the, you know, once you get rid of everything else to jump off. Uh, that's, that's your being level intent, maybe, or yeah, something like that. Absolutely. That is right. And basically, you will end up living in that space. You know, that will become the space of your everyday life. It's living in that, that calm space. And that is a space in which your intuition is very, is very available and will be accurate. And you can, you can uh, intuit things. You, know, you can, you can, uh, you know, you can do all the other paranormal things, gather data, remote view. You can do, you can do so much more of that very easily as long as you stay in that relaxed space. That's a space where you're using the intellect when you need it, but the intellect is not the micromanager running every minute of your life. And it's a, it's a good space to, to live in. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Tom. Tom, I want, I was wondering if you would just talk a little bit about um, your time at TMI. Uh, the other explorers, uh, were they also, did they also have the ability to consistently go out of body? And are they still doing that to your knowledge? Do you, do you know anything about that? Well, I can guess a little about it. Uh, when I was there, um, there were two groups of people that were very distinct. One were the regulars, the people who were part of Bob's program, the explorer, you know, the explorers. <clears throat> Others were people that just came in, spent a little time and then left. They were, or they were people who just would uh, come in to experience it, but they really weren't part of his program. They weren't quite that serious with it. Of all the ones that were serious with it, I'd say all of them that I know of could probably go out of body on demand whenever they wanted to. I'm not sure that anybody struggled with it very much. It's, I don't know, it just seemed like an easy thing to do when you were there. I don't know, maybe there's something magical about, uh, you know, being out there with Bob, but it, uh, it was, you know, most people have trouble with out-of-body because they get twisted up in their own expectations. They're trying to duplicate things that they've read in books. Um, they're using their intellect to try to guide the process, and that's their problem. And I think... Uh, probably because of the things Bob told us, or maybe it just was the collective consciousness there. It was uh, all that stuff just kind of fell away pretty easily. So most of them did. Now, did they continue with it? Some, like myself, I continued with it, of course, very actively, because my job was to figure out how it all worked. And it took me a long time. So I kept working at it and working at it and working at it and doing experiments and following up, you know, what this variable did and that variable, I kept plugging away at it uh, consistently and you know, st still am. So that's, that was me. Uh, my, my friend, Dennis Menerick that worked with me. Um, he actually got to the point of easily going out of body probably, uh, you know, six months before I did, he was a little quicker on the upswing he did not keep working it. He was the engineer, and uh, engineers don't particularly like to figure out theory. They just like to build things. So when he when he uh, left, because again we, you know, we were gone from researchers to trainers by that time, and our lives had been sorely neglected. 
and uh, we needed to get back to them. So he uh, did not do that. He actually started an interest in martial arts, which was just another way for him to take his meditation. Now, he didn't do martial arts and, you know, how do you kill somebody with your hands? He did martial arts that was more mental than physical. I mean, there was a very physical part to it that took a lot of practice, but there was a very strong mental part to it. And he then went that direction with his daily practice, if you will. So instead of out of body, he did he did other things. But he still, I'm sure, can go out of body whenever he wants to. I don't think it's something that you that you that you lose. So I expect yes, most of them most of them had no problem doing that, and most of them can probably still do that today. Now I may be I may be wrong on that, but that's just a guess. It's not like we all are in a club and we, you know, we talk to each other, you know, once a month or something. I haven't interacted with most of these people very often. I don't even see Dennis or interact with him, but very rarely. So I, I don't know whether they still do it or not, but you know, we're here in this virtual reality called our physical universe in order to interact and to grow. And, uh, you know, things happen to us and we have to deal with those things that happen to us. And that's the main game. So I don't think any of us left that. You know, that has to be your main game. The outer body has to be the, the adventuring on the side because we're here for a, for a purpose. And our purpose for being here isn't to leave. <laughs> our purpose for being here is to deal with the stuff that happens to us here. But if we can do that from that broad, relaxed, you know, point that you're talking about that you get when you come back from an out of body. If we can live here from that perspective, then it makes living here so much more, oh, I don't know, uh, pleasant. It makes living here so much more um, productive and valuable and more fun. You know, our buttons start to go away. You know, people can't push our buttons, they can't make us angry and upset and annoyed. Because we don't get angry, upset, and annoyed anymore because that's just not in us. We have kind of outgrown upset and annoyed. And ego is just not part of what we are anymore. So it makes your life nice, makes your life pleasant. And uh, so it's a good thing to do, but it's not really the point of why why you're here to do it. The point of why you're here is growing up. And as you grow up, you're able to do these things more easily. And as you do these things, you're able to grow up more easily. It's like they, they go together. But you don't ever have to do anything paranormal. You don't ever have to go out of body or, or you know, remote view or heal or anything to grow up. You can do it without that. But those are handy tools that can help you learn the skills that you need and the experience that you need to see bigger pictures and to grow up. So growing up requires you to get into a bigger picture and, you know, doing these paranormal things just helps you develop that bigger picture. So that's really the only point of them. doing anything paranormal is not important or significant by itself, but it is a, a space in which you can 
practice and a space in which you can you can uh, learn. And some people go into the paranormal things and their ego gets all blown up because of it. Oh, I can remote view and, you know, I'm good at it and I can heal. Give me some money and I'll heal you. You know, some people get wrapped up with their egos in these things, but then they stop growing. It's not a path for them to grow. So if your ego is so big that you're likely to get trapped in these paranormal spaces because you you uh, you feel the power or whatever, then it's not a good way to go. It's a good thing to avoid. But if your ego is, is low enough that you actually can do these things pretty well, then uh, it's a, there's a lot of value in understanding bigger spaces as you grow up, kind of expanding your mind, experience, expanding your experience set and, and suddenly a lot of things that used to be important aren't so important anymore. And other things that you never really thought about become important. So it changes who you are, how you see the world. It changes you. You become a different person, which I'm sure you're aware of. If you look back, you know, probably, what, five years ago. Go back five years, you know, and, and who was Will five years ago. You probably see that now Will is an entirely different person. That's absolutely true. I was uh, I was a very different person than I am now, and uh, it's life's better. You know, it's not as hard. Um, thank you, Tom. I have one more question, and it has to do with the balance between us on the being level and us um, kind of on the physical level. And, you know, Mm -hmm. our body has these wants and needs, like it wants to eat. And so obviously we have to eat and it wants to, uh, you know, it wants to sleep and we have to do that too. But where's the line with that? So, you know, like, let's say relationships, let's say I'm a person that's really touchy and I really want to have hugs 45 times a day and my wife or companion or whatever it is, she is not feeling touchy at all. And she doesn't want to give me like any hugs. So at what level or in how do I balance the needs of the body or the wants of the body with the spiritual part of who we are? Should I just, should I just like ignore that or like see that and acknowledge it? Should I just try to let it go? Or should I say, well, look, I'm here as a physical being. And, and so I have these, you know, physical uh, needs and they're not being met. And so I have to, you know, go off and, and find them somewhere else. And so I, I really, I really can't figure out where the house should be on something like that. I was wondering if I'm pointing in the right direction. Okay. Um, it, it depends on where you are in that relationship and how you got there and a lot of other things. But in general, your needs should not be all that important to you. Yes, you have needs. You're a, you're an animal, you know, you're homo sapiens. You have needs, you know, you have sexual needs. You have needs to want to feel that you belong, you know, needs to care and, and uh, be close with other people. That's part of your need. It's social needs, I guess I should say. Connection with others' needs. You have hunger. You have needs for a certain level of comfort, that sort of thing. 
But in, a most, ca- in, in most cases, any one of those needs, if, it, if it's just not available, should be okay. You know, it's okay if you're hungry. It's okay. You don't have to eat. You don't have to eat for two or three or four or five days or a week. And it's not that big a deal. You just don't eat. So if there's nothing to eat for a week, then that's okay. It's not something to be bothered by or upset. If you want those hugs, you're a huggy person and, and uh, your your wife isn't, then you just have to say that is the way she is. That's her. And I have to let her be her. I can't make her demand that she becomes somebody else. Well, if I could demand that she become somebody else other than what's her, then she could just as easily demand that I become somebody else and be like her. Somebody that didn't like being touched, you see. I mean, so you just can't make demands and say, people need to be the way I want them to be. That's your ego. So if that's the way she is, then that's the way she is. Accept that. Say that is a part of her. And that's not a part that I get a lot of comfort from. But there's other parts of her that I like a whole lot. So I just accept that. That's part of the package. Packages usually don't, uh, you know, one, one package probably doesn't meet all your needs all the time. It's possible, but it's just harder to, you know, harder to come by. So you just accept that. You know, you have friends, and maybe your friends are, uh, you know, have components of their personalities that you just really don't relate to. And, you know, they're, they just, but that's okay. You let them be. They are who they are. Now, if it gets to the point that the way they are has little to no redeeming value, in other words, there isn't anything about them that you particularly like or enjoy or care about, well, then it's time to move on, you know, make new friends. But mostly people aren't like that. There's something about them that you can relate to and be okay with, and you let them be who they are. So your needs shouldn't be that compelling that you get uh, to where you just have to have a met. If you just have to have a met, that's probably more ego than need. And that's that's the same with your sexual needs and, you know, connection needs with other people and so on. It's not like you just have to have this situation with that person. You don't. Let that would go. You, would you say that that would also be true with, um, like, uh, my need, like, let's say my need to eat. So, you know, I'm, I, I decide to fast. I've got horrible headaches. makes me feel like I'm nauseous. Then, but I really want to fast. So you're you're more of kind of the inclination that you don't need to listen to that part. You can just basically do whatever whatever it is that you think is the right thing overall to do, like in the larger kind of yeah. format. Probably, yeah, probably what would happen is that if you if you did if you let go and just said, well, I am going to fast. If I get headaches or whatever, um, I will I will accept that. Because I want to, I want to experience the fast. I want to know what that's like, and I'm curious about what it might do for me. So I want to do it. And I want to do it for say seven days or eight days or whatever it is. So then you just accept whatever comes will come. 
And if you get headaches or you feel nauseous, well, that's part of it, part of the experience. And you may, if you feel miserable, decide not to do it anymore. But you may go through it once just because you want to see how it is. You see, now, if you really don't care that much about fasting and it it doesn't feel good, then you could just stop and say, well, I don't want to go there. But if it's something you really want to do, you can do it if you really want to. And probably the difficulties that you're having with the fasting, you see, there's a very large probability that those aren't really biological and physical things. Those are things that probably have to do with some fear or some worry about that fast and your body and your ability to do it. And and uh, it's some of that dis-ease that you have with fasting that was more likely to show up as headaches and other problems. It's like uh, sabotaging your own fast with uh, good reasons to quit. So once you really decide you're going to do it anyway, no matter what, then the sabotaging usually disappears because you're going to do it anyway, you know, whether you, you know, throw up in the process or not. So in that case, typically those things won't even happen to you. You'll find that the fast works just fine. And the fast is just an example. That's true with everything in your life. Once you decide that, oh, you're just going to do this because you want to do it, and typically then everything just works real smoothly. Everything becomes optimal because you don't have any fears around it. You're just going to go do this thing, and then you just let it happen. Now, that doesn't mean that if you had a terrible thing that it was really, you know, physically a terrible problem that you wouldn't quit. You have to be flexible, too. You might get to the point and say, well, this isn't a good time. That's probably not a good time. I'll wait and I'll do it uh, six months from now or next year. Something like that. So you don't want to be hard over on, I'm going to do this, you know, if it kills me. That's not my point. It's just if you go in with resolve to do something and you're okay with it, even if it is a little hard, even if it does hurt some, but you want to do it anyway, then typically it doesn't hurt at all. If you go in with fear, with the idea, well, I hope this doesn't hurt too much. I hope this isn't too awful, you know, not eating for a week. Then you end up, you go into it and you usually have problems. So that's the thing. So if it's a relationship issue, then if the relationship has value to it, you know, enough value that you would want to continue that relationship, then the fact that you don't get hugs is just okay. That's not a problem. Okay. You'll have other friends that you will hug, other people that are huggable, and enjoy your hugs. And when you get those hugs, then they'll mean all the more. You'll really savor them. If you're if, if let's say this is your wife, this is all hypothetical, but if this is your wife and she says, I not only don't want hugs, but I don't like to see you hugging anybody else. Well, then I would try to do what she wants. I would try not then to hug anybody else when she's around. But if she's not around, then I'd hug whoever I damn well pleased, you know, because it's not going to upset her. And you could tell her about it. It's not that that's a big secret. You could say, yeah, you know, so-and-so, we met and really had a good time. You know, my old friends. You know, so 
that won't bother her probably either. But if she's around, then, you know, that's her. You just accept her however she is and do the things that don't bother her. So then you get a good relationship with her, and as her relationship's good, then she starts to feel more like she doesn't care whether you hug other people or not, you see, because your relationship is real strong, and it doesn't threaten her. So that's what I mean. You go into things with good attitudes without trying to push or break anything, but just going in with good attitudes, they almost always work out perfectly without any trouble. You optimize it, which gets you back to the idea that when you stop trying to control something and make it be the way you want it, then often it comes naturally even better than you could have imagined it. But as long as you try to make it be the way you want it, you're frustrated. So as you try to manipulate things to be the way you want it, you have trouble. It's difficult to manipulate any of them because they're all so resistant. And if you get them, it just it doesn't work very well. But when you give up manipulating things and you just do things and let them be however they turn out, then what turns out to happen is better than what you could imagine, even if you were the master manipulator of all times. You couldn't have manipulated it to be that good. You know? And then you come to the conclusion that you don't want to manipulate anything because it just screws stuff up. <laughs> More turns out to be the way you want it when you stop manipulating things rather than do manipulating. So that's, you know, it's all part of the same thing, Will. So you just accept people as they are. Don't try to make people be somebody other than they are because they're trying to make you be somebody that you're not. And if you have a bunch of people each trying to make each other be something other than what they are, then you got a bunch of people who, who have issues with each other. They don't really, you know, they have things they don't like about each other. And that's not helpful. So try to be what... You know, you try to be helpful to other people. If other people get upset because you hug them, well, then don't hug them. Or if they get upset because you hug others, well, then don't hug others while they're around. And it doesn't matter whether that's your wife or your mother or the lady next door. You know, it's all the same. But I remember you and I had some pretty good hugs when you were there at the uh, at the uh, cabin. You're a good hugger, Will. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to hug you. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> I, I know, right? <laughs> well, if you were here now, I'd give you a big old hug. So thanks, Tom. I uh, really appreciate your time today. And, uh, you really answered uh, a lot of great questions. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Good questions. Cheryl is here with us today. Cheryl, you've got a couple questions. Please go ahead. Hello, Tom. Hi, Don and everybody. Missed you so much. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Here we go. I grew up in the Bible Belt. I know many here uh, that tell people what to do all the time. Well, I never liked that. It felt bad. So I worked hard to not be that way. I, I rarely tell other people what to do because of and because of this, I thought I was not being manipulative. And so this is around manipulation. Then as I was asking you questions in the past, you had mentioned that I needed to stop manipulating. After the fourth, <laughs> after the fourth or fifth time of you saying this to me, 
I took a much closer look at manipulation. But maybe I didn't understand the meaning of manipulation. I became very focused when I was interacting with people. I noticed that sometimes I would use comedy, either laughter to an extreme if I felt uncomfortable, like if the mood stayed sad for too long. So I changed what I so I changed what I was doing and just observed. I noticed that sometimes I was interrupting the flow of the conversation. So I stopped telling jokes to see what happens. Then I noticed that the conversation flow changed. I was listening more. Over time, I noticed that the system had better jokes than mine. <laughs> and they were way better placed in the conversation. <laughs> it seemed that the system was giving me jokes that were specific to the person that I was talking to and me not knowing what those specifics were. But it really made them really laugh because it was specific about them, like something in their past. And mm -hmm. they really get them going. So then I went deeper. I was like, okay. I stumbled onto how manipulating interferes with other people's free wills. See, it seems it's everywhere. Everywhere I look, I can see it now. I found that most interactions where I live are manipulations. <laughs> Nobody is really communicating or allowing others their free will, including me. <laughs> it's so subtle, though. I thought manipulation meant that you're, you know, telling people what to do, not in the subtle way where you're controlling the whole conversation. <clears throat> so can you dive deeper into this subject? Overt manipulation, telling someone what to do is easy to see in my, for, for me, but the more subtle forms were just completely invisible. I had no idea. I thought I was one of the most non-manipulative Texans in Texas. <laughs> And you kept saying to me, you stop being manipulative. And the last time you said it, it was a little more forceful. And I said, I know that something's there, so I better look at it. I know it means something, but evidently, I think many don't really understand the full, full meaning of manipulation. Mm -hmm. The great majority of all the things they say and do are meant to manipulate other people. And it's not just to make those people say and do what you want them to. No. A lot of it is trying to get them to think the things you want them to think. So if, <laughs> let's say, for instance, you have an image, and your image is one of being uh, the fun person, the person who, um, I don't know, is, is uh, the life of the party or who is just fun to be around. And, and maybe you just want to be that person because then people will like you. So if people will like me if I'm the fun person. Therefore, I will tell jokes and I will be fun and I will smile a lot and laugh a lot. And that way, people will like me. That's my way of interacting people, interacting with people that people will like me. Because if I was just me, and said the things that I felt and said what was on my mind, uh, not many people would like me because I would be abrasive and I would, you know, be telling them uh, that I didn't like this, I didn't like that, and that wouldn't work out too well. So then you have an image. And when you play to that image, that means you're manipulating other people's opinions of you. You want them to have a positive opinion or you want them to like you. You want, you know, so you act in a certain way to get them to feel in a certain way about you. 
And that comes out of our fears. We have fears of not being adequate, of not being likable, of being different, not being able to fit in. So we have our strategies then of how we can fit in. And all of those strategies have to do with manipulating other people's opinions toward us. So they will like us and they will include us. So manipulation isn't just, I want to get so-and-so to do this thing. And I'm going to try to tell them things and whatever to get them to do that thing. Yeah, that's very overt. But we're manipulating things all the time. When we tell our children things like, uh, oh, you know, go study hard so you can become a doctor and a lawyer and make a lot of money. Well, we're trying to manipulate them towards certain attitudes. Right. That's why we tell them that. And, you know, we tell them lots of things because we want to manipulate them to certain attitudes. Now, when they're very young, they need to be manipulated. No, you can't play in traffic. <laughs> oh, if you want to play in traffic, I'm going to put a lock on a gate so, you you know, you can't get out of the yard. So that's a very obvious manipulation, but it's necessary because they're not old enough to make choices on their own. But once they are old enough to make choices on their own, then manipulation isn't really for their benefit. It's for your benefit, for how they will see you, for, you know, the way you want things to be. And one of the ways that you want things to be is you want to be included. You don't want to be excluded. And now you have to figure, okay, how can I make sure that I'm included? Well, then I need to be one of the in people. I need to be you know, these people need to be my friends. Well, how, what do I have to do to make them my friends? Well, I have to do this and this. And you see, it's all, that's all manipulative. You're not just being you. Matter of fact, after you live a life of manipulation, you don't even know who you are because you, you've let go of you in favor of the things you need to do, say, be, and act like in order to get the, get the responses that you like. So when you tell People, most people say, well, you know, just be authentic. They kind of think a minute and they have no idea what that means. Who would they be if they were authentic? And then the fear comes in. Well, if I was just authentic, nobody would like me. You know, I'd have to go live as a as a hermit, you know, out in the desert someplace, you know, in a little a little hut. If I was authentic, that's what makes me socially acceptable is that I and that's what makes me fit in. So, you see, that's all fear-driven stuff. You do things because you're afraid, because you have wants and needs. So that's what I mean by manipulation. And as much as you try to manipulate things to be the way you want them, they generally aren't the way you want them. Because, you see, even if you get that friendship or get that inclusion, Okay, you have a circle of friends, and they include you, even if you get that. Well, in your own mind, you say, well, I only get that because of the way I act, and that's not me. So they're not really including me. They're including who they think I am. They're including my image of myself, and what happens then is that doesn't make you feel good. You still feel like you're an outsider. The only way you can be as an insider is to be, you know, a fake you. <laughs> so then you get, so then you get start to get depressed and you start feeling like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really want to hang out with those people, but I really need to. And I want to, but I really don't want to. And you get uh, upset with yourself. What's wrong with me? You constantly, 
looking at yourself with negativity, and all of that brings you to a less valuable place, you know, to a less productive place. And that's then your life isn't working out too well for you. So that's the typical way people work. They they have needs and wants and desires. They have feelings of fears, insecurities, and and uh, things they don't feel very good about. So they put up fronts. They have strategies to cover up those things that they fear. And then their life, instead of being full of happiness and joy, is kind of, uh, okay, they do have friends. People do invite them, or they are inside, but none of it's really real. It's all something they have contrived. They've manipulated it to be that way. Now, intellectually, they're probably not aware of that. But deeper than the intellect, they are aware of that. And that's why most people have their circles of friends. They do their things. They go out to movies with them. They do other things. And it would seem like everybody's happy and smiles and tells jokes. But actually, when you get to know them, everybody's kind of sullen. Everybody's kind of down. Everybody's a little depressed on the, around the edges, even if they're not totally depressed. And everybody feels like life is kind of not all that meaningful. And that's because they're not being, you know, they're not being themselves. Whereas if you're just yourself and somebody likes you, well, that'll make you feel good because they like you for who you are, not for who you pretend to be. And from that, you can get, you know, some satisfaction. That's a real friend, not a bunch of pretend friends that are making each other feel better because of their fears and their images. You see, so that's just a, it's the way our culture is. Everybody feels that they can make things better if everybody else would just listen to them. You know, everybody feels like they know the answers. So they try to tell people what to do. Oh, Cheryl, you'd be better off if you did this, if you did that, if you were this way or if you were that way. See, trying to tell other people really how they should be. You'd be a lot better off if you just stopped doing such and such. Well, you need just not to listen to any of that. You just need to let that go. Say, okay, sure. You know, and just let it slip out in one ear and go right out the other ear without any of it sticking whatsoever. So you live in an environment, you live in a culture that is very manipulative. Our culture is manipulative. Advertisers are manipulative. Politicians are manipulative. Families are manipulative. Schools are manipulative. They're all trying to get, you know, order and progress and having things move forward by them trying to manipulate everybody else. Well, in a, in a society where everyone is trying to manipulate everybody else to be the, to be the way they want them to be, you can see nobody's going to be very happy. And most of the manipulation is going to leave you kind of frustrated. And instead of finding those friendships really fulfilling and giving you a sense of, of a pleasure just for being with those people, they're, they're draining. <laughs> By the time you spent six hours with those people, you know, you're ready to go home and take a nap because you have to keep up appearances. You have to do this. You know, you have to keep 
you, you have to have a, a better next joke. You have to do this and have to do that. And then when you say goodnight, you, you're kind of exhausted rather than really full of joy of the time you spent. So that's what I mean by manipulation. It's, it's much of what we do is we do it because others are manipulating us and we're trying to manipulate them. And almost nobody is exactly who they are because everybody has too much fear that who they are is not adequate. You see, so that's our culture and that's our collective consciousness. So it's going to be everywhere. And you can't be angry at people for being that way. You know, people try to tell you what to do. Being angry with them isn't going to help. That's just the way they are. That's their culture, too. And they mostly don't have a big enough picture to see how it's all working, you know, and what it's doing, and and that their lives are kind of flat, not all that full of joy. One day, it gets you through the next day, which gets you through the next day. And there's very little joy just in living, just in being, just in connecting with other people. I mean, you you have that connection, and yeah, you smile, and yeah, you tell jokes, and you have a few laughs together, and you go to the office, and you work, you do what you do at work, and you come back, but your life is not full of joy. It's full of, well, I did all the things I had to do, and I think I did them well enough. Now I just want to watch a sitcom and become mindless and then go to bed. You know, you're not, it's not like, wow, what a great day. I can hardly wait for tomorrow. <laughs> Most people don't feel that way. Very surfacey. Yeah, everything is very shallow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everything tends to be very shallow because that's the way images are. Images are all very shallow. And you're interacting with their image. They're interacting with your image. Everybody's frightened. Everybody's carrying fear around underneath that, you see. And that's why nobody is going home with a, you know, with a, with a happy heart saying, wow, you know, what a wonderful day. I feel very, you know, I feel very good. I'm pleased with all the things I do and the people I know, and my heart's full of joy. Tomorrow's going to be even better. You know, most people go, go, oh, geez, another day's over. Oh, let me just go relax and do something mindless for a while and and, uh, go to bed and get ready for the next one. And they don't really look that much forward to the next one. Yeah, they got to go. They got to go back to work. They're going to do all those things. And, okay, they'll they'll earn some kudos. They'll do their job well. They will help other people. They will, you know, you're, you're in the health field. You help other people. You help other people every day. You know, that's your, that's your job. And those people know that, and they appreciate that. So there is still joy and happiness and real things in your life. I'm not saying everybody's life is just a pile of, of <laughs> you know, garbage. It's not that. There's good things in your life. You do help people. You are you know, you do have friends, and you do enjoy being with them, and there's there's a lot going on that is positive, but it's missing much. And in as much as it's superficial, and in as much as it's working to image, that's the same amount which it is not very satisfying. It's the same amount that is kind of shallow. And if you live in a culture that is particularly aggressive in its 
telling you how to live, which a religious culture is like that. You live in the Bible Belt. When you live, you know, when you're in a religious culture, people expect you to have certain thoughts, have certain attitudes, have certain beliefs, do certain things, be certain ways. And if you're not, it's a big problem, a big social problem. So that's the downside of living in an area that uh, has a small what a small reality they live in a smaller reality where there's just this certain bunch of facts and anything other than that is intolerable well there's still people you still live with them probably a lot of them are your family right that's that's, <laughs> that's typical and when they're your family you have to have relationship with them and you have to be nice and you have to let them be whoever they are but you have to let you have to learn to let all their complaints and criticisms just not stick on you Mm-hmm. Don't take them seriously. In one ear, out the other. Smile, say thank you, appreciate your concern, and then don't uh, let that make you feel bad. So that's the thing. When you live in that kind of a of an environment, you have to have a thick skin in the sense that you're not hurt by everything everybody <laughs> tells you, you know, and that you don't really take any of that too seriously. The, the criticism is not something that you take seriously because they are how they are. That's how they feel. They're not, you're not going to change them, and they're not going to change you. So live with them as peacefully and as happily and with as much fun and as much joy as you can, but there's limitations. It's just going to be a, a limited set of relationships, and that's because they live in a very limited reality. And in a limited reality, everything's limited. So it's the, it's the way it is. But it doesn't mean that you can't be happy and find a good life in that kind of environment. You can. But it takes you to having to grow up and to where you stop participating in it, but you can still be in it and interact with it and care for people and have fun with them. And then you're probably the only one going home after the event <laughs> that, that really is happy. Because you none of that stuff stuck at all. And you just kind of being enjoy just being there with those people, even though those people are all very narrow, perhaps. But still, they're there. They're your friends. You can tell jokes. They can tell jokes. You can have good times and let it go. And you probably are the one that goes home feeling good about it, and everybody else is kind of exhausted from keeping their their images up. So you can live in that kind of environment and and still be a happy, joyful person. It's not that you need the right environment to be joyful and happy. Joy and happiness comes from inside of you, not from your environment. But some environments are just more difficult to do that in than others. So you've got one that you're going to have to grow up a lot in order to find peace and happiness in the environment that you're in. It requires more growth. Whereas if you were in an environment full of very grown people, finding happiness and satisfaction would be a piece of cake. It'd be laying around all over the place. For most of us, that's not the situation we live in. I also live in the Bible Belt. You know, I, I live uh, in, the same, in this, the same sort of culture that you do. But... I like it here. You know, I, I prosper here, so I don't uh, I don't let any of that bother me. 
it's all okay. I get along with everybody. So it's that sort of thing. It just you just requires you to be a little more grown up when you're around people who aren't very grown up. Mm-hmm. But you can still love them, and you can yeah. still like them, and you can still enjoy, and you can still be social with them. Mm-hmm. Things with my family have much greatly improved, and and what you just described is what's been happening. I've really enjoyed the interactions, even though it's still we're all still the same people. I think what I I grew up a little bit. I grew up enough to where. Um, I finally understood that their opinions about me, that's about them and their growth process. Mm-hmm. It's not even about me. It's just right. being an extreme right brain <laughs> in that situation was, I was just so different and it, it was just not accepted in my culture. You're, you can't think that way. You can't think the way you do, Cheryl. Sorry. You need to start doing it this way, but I couldn't, that was the only way I could think. It's the way I am. And so the last few times been really good. I've been able to really have some good times with my family. <laughs> it's, yeah. getting where it's kind of funny when you realize that a lot of that stuff was really, like you said, about just you're trying to put up an image so that you just want everybody like you. Well, if, if the way you are goes completely against the culture you're in, then that's that's. That's true. You have to grow up and and realize that it's not about you. It's Mm -hmm. it's not about that. So it sounds like you've taken some some good steps toward being being authentic. You are more who you are and understand who you are and accept who you are. And the magical thing is that when you do that, you see, when you're trying to please them by being the way they want you, but it's not the way you are, that just makes you crazy. (laughs) <laughs> that makes you that just makes you upset and angry and depressed. But when you are being who you are, mm-hmm. but you're still being nice and you're not arguing and you're not fighting and you're giving hugs, mm-hmm. well then, you know, they actually start to cut you that slack and let mm-hmm. you be who you are. And it becomes okay for you to be authentic, you see? So yeah, that's <laughs> That's slow coming. That's slow coming. But then they say, oh, it's just Cheryl. You know, that's just the way she is. And they, they accept you, you see. So what you find out in the end is that by being authentic, you optimize all your relationships. And what the fear makes you believe is just the opposite. By being authentic, you know, everybody would despise you. You have to have a good image that fits in. Otherwise, you won't be liked. But just the opposite is the truth. When you are authentic, when you are you, but you're not angry, you're not upset, you're not arguing all the time, you let them be who they are, and then they can let you be who you are, and everybody can get along pretty well. I mean, they still think you're a little crazy and off the wall and whatever, but that's just Cheryl, you know, and that's okay. You don't mind if they think that way. That's fine with you, and they're they're just who they are to you, and everybody gets along. That's what I mean. You don't have to leave the culture you're in to find happiness and to find good connections. You can find it right where you are. It just is harder. <laughs> you have to grow You have to grow up first. Tom Campbell here. I and MBT Events hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. 
Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.